Thanks, Pastor Brian. Uh, it's great to be here this morning. Super blessed to have the invitation to come here. The last time Pastor Brian gave me an invitation, I ended up being on a 17-hour ferry ride to a remote island in the Philippines. So that was uh, that was a great adventure as well. It's really good to be here. My name's Stephen Redekop. I'm I've been married for about nine years to my wife Jen. We have three young girls. Holly's five. Leah's two and a half, and Marie we just had four months ago, a cute little baby girl. So super excited to be here. In fact, I'm really happy to be back in Fresno. Last week, I was in Portland, Oregon for, for a week of seminary coursework and really miss my family. And on the way home, I was in the airport, and Alaska Airlines said, okay, now MVP air miles, people can board, and anybody wearing Seattle Seahawks gear. So I thought, wow, that's bonus for them. And there was a bunch of Packers fans there, and they were grumbling. And then they said, and anybody else who's wearing Packers gear or any other gear, you have to board at the end. So it was just, just a sign of, you know, their, who they really value up there in the Pacific Northwest. And I will say, you know, we've only got a few weeks left of football season. You're well positioned here at Bethany. I don't think the games start until early this afternoon. So we should be totally fine. Uh, excited to continue in this series on certain truth as we walk through the gospel of Luke. And I know a couple, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian went through and covered the wilderness temptations. And now coming out of that context, Jesus is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and he begins his ministry in Galilee. And you see, Luke wants to make it clear that Jesus' ministry begins in the power of the Holy Spirit as he's teaching in the synagogues. See, this is the same spirit that descended upon him at his baptism, filled and guided him during his wilderness testing, and now empowers him to carry out his messianic mission. So we're back in Luke chapter 4 today. We're going to be in page 639 in the Red Church Bible. I'd invite you to go ahead and please stand with me as we read God's Word. Luke 4, 14 through 21, page 639. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boy had home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked intently at him. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Please go ahead and have a seat. What a powerful passage. What a message that Jesus has here. You know, verse 14 and following says that reports about Jesus spread throughout the whole region, that he was a regular teacher in various synagogues, and that everybody praised him. His miracles, his healings, his teachings were having quite an impact at this point. You see, Galilee was Jesus' home, and it's here in Luke that his ministry begins. Now, his teachings were clearly catching people's interest, 
In fact, it says that people praised him. Now, in the original language, this term praise literally meant glorified, which was usually reserved for God. So you can see the impact that Jesus is teaching, his ministry, his miracles, his healings are having here in Galilee. Now, as followers of Jesus, when we carry out our mission of pointing people to Christ, we need to be empowered by the Spirit as well. If we're not, we're going to grow weary. We need God's power and presence, and this often comes after a time of testing. You see, like Jesus, our mission is carried out in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's point one on your outline. Like Jesus, our mission is carried out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says that Jesus came to Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And now while there's only one temple, there's many synagogues in the area. The synagogues are all over the place. Wherever there's ten men, there's potentially a synagogue. Now these synagogue services were rather informal. They consisted of prayers, of reading scripture, with comments. In fact, when Jesus sits down after reading the scroll, that's what they did. They sat down and then they would teach. And they also included alms for the poor. So the synagogue was not just a place for worship, but it was a school, a community center. It was a place to administer justice. And Jesus is at home here. He's likely with many friends and family members in this synagogue in Nazareth. And it's here in the synagogue that Jesus unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and reads from chapter 61, verses 1 to 2. And this was a popular passage that people in his day in the synagogue, they would have known this passage is talking about the Messiah. It's describing the task of the Lord's anointed one, the Messiah. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news. He's anointed me to bring good news. Now, as followers of Jesus, I believe God has also called us to bring good news. God has called us to bring the good news of the gospel to all who are hurting. God has called us to bring the good news of the gospel to all who are hurting. God has called you. God has called me. Now, we know this. This is Jesus' message. This is his mission that we're reading in Luke. And we know that we're in this as well. Because of what happens after this time. In John 20, 21, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. And he said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Isn't that amazing? As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. In Ephesians, it talks extensively about the body of Christ. And we know that we're an extension of Jesus in the world. You see, the church is what people see of Christ. God's called us to bring the good news to all who are hurting. Verse 18, it talks about the poor. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, while I believe this statement can be an overarching statement for all the other specifics that come after, the captives, the blind, the oppressed, there's something significant happening here when he says, He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And it's the same for us. See, we proclaim good news to those who know they are poor, and to those who do not. We proclaim good news to those that know they are poor and to those that do not. The Old Testament law takes great pains to protect the dignity and worth of the poor and the marginalized. See, God's heart is for the poor. God cares deeply for the poor, and Jesus is communicating this in the synagogue on that day. 
The law made provision for the poor. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 4 talks about how when, when Israel obeys the Mosaic law, which included much in the area of provision and dignity for the poor, when they do this, the surrounding nations are going to look at them and they're going to think, what a prudent and wise nation. It's amazing. If they just follow the law, which is rooted in God's character, they're going to think, what a prudent and wise nation. In fact, Deuteronomy 4, 7 says this. It says, For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him? You see the evangelistic function of the law here? Israel is to be a light to the nations. There's to be a light to the nations. Part of this is the way they treat the poor and the marginalized. Jesus is bringing good news in this area. Now, we know poor refers to an economic condition, but it's not merely an economic status. Having said that, I don't want to just gloss over the word in its economic state. And I want you to think about this for a minute. When people are in need, should it be good news for those people that Christian communities are nearby? Should it be good news? I've got um, an image coming up on the screen here. It's basically a poverty index of the state of California by county. Might be a little difficult to see, but right smack dab in the middle is Fresno County, where almost a quarter of the population lives below the poverty line. That's Fresno County. That's where we are. Now, I was thinking about this. Is it good news for Fresno County that there's hundreds of churches? I believe it is. I believe it is very good news. But we have to think, how do we implicate ourselves in this? Perhaps you're a business owner, and you've got the opportunity to employ people that don't usually get an opportunity to be employed. You can implicate yourself in this. Perhaps you're a medical professional, and along with other professionals, you can do clinics offering services to those in need. So many opportunities that we can serve. Maybe you're in prison ministry. You're visiting people that are poor in spirit all the time. This is what Jesus is saying here. Perhaps for the rest of us, we need to engage the poor relationally, not at an arm's length, but become friends with people. Get to know them, serve them, live life with them. Now, poverty is not just in an economic sense. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea, and he's, he's talking about their lukewarm faith. He's not very pleased with them. And he says this in Revelation 3.17. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow. I'm not going to soften this for us. Sometimes I think the scripture is meant to just penetrate us like this. This is, it touches our hearts to read something this strong. Now, the arrogant, self-sufficient, self-satisfied individual is miserable and poor in God's sight. Miserable and poor in God's sight. I've got a friend, um, does Bible studies, goes down to, to visit with people living on the street, prays with them, studies the scriptures with them. When he started to do this, he was thinking, you know, I'm doing something super noble. I'm bringing the word of God down to these people living on the street I've got something precious to offer them, and this is about me teaching them. As he, as he began to do this, what he found was that over time, opening the scriptures with these people in a different context than himself, coming under the authority of, of the word of God, 
being washed by the word of God, God was teaching them as a community. They both became poor in spirit, seeing their need for God together. Something that he didn't necessarily expect when he first decided to serve people living on the street. Jesus says in Revelation 3, buy gold from me, then you will be rich. Think too about the Apostle Paul. I mean, this was a character who had a lot to boast about in terms of his lineage and who he was. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. About the things that show how weak I am. Paul knew his need for Jesus Christ. Think about some of the times of your greatest weakness and how that drew you to Jesus, how you experienced his strength in that moment. This is what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for our hearts turned towards him. We should feel compassion toward the poverty-stricken, and we should feel compassion towards the arrogant and self-sufficient rich. Jesus also says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit thirst for God. As I mentioned last week, I was in Portland for some seminary coursework. I'd be in class from 8 in the morning till 5 p.m., and then I'd write papers and study. It was super intense. I often felt like my, my brain was just going to mush, and I needed a break. And I'm telling you, the best part of my day was when my wife would send me a, a picture text or a video text on my phone, and I'd feel my phone vibrate in my pocket in the classroom, and you know, I'm trying to respect the professor, so I'm not looking at it most, most of the time. And um, you know, I have a break, I go out, and I see a little picture. It's my, it's my four-month-old daughter, Marie, sitting in her little bumbo chair in the pack-and-place, smiling. You know, I just feel this yearning to be connected to my family. Later on, I get another, I get a video message. And uh, it's my two older daughters. They're reenacting the Good Samaritan scene. And I'm not talking about the beat-down scene. I'm talking about the mending scene. So, so Leah's got a little cloth, and she's putting ointment on Holly and mending her. And, and all the while, they're both singing this, this cheesy Good Samaritan children's ministry song from the 1980s. So Jen and I have made the mistake of introducing them to some of the children's ministry material that we had in the 80s, and they just love it. So Good Samaritan video, love it. Even last night during bath time, reenacting the Good Samaritan scene. This is their theme, I think, this month. So as I'm seeing these things, my heart... Is, is yearning for my family, a connection with my family. I thirst to be reconnected with them. How much more should we feel that towards our Heavenly Father, towards our Savior, Jesus Christ, towards the Holy Spirit that indwells in us, to keep in step, to walk in the Spirit? I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Let's continue on in verse 18. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Now, as Christians, we proclaim that because of Jesus, people can be freed from the captivity and bondage of sin. This is point B on your outline. We proclaim that because of Jesus, people can be freed from the bondage of sin. Now, captives can be understood metaphorically in terms of people that need healing. They need to be freed from demonic oppression and harassment, bondage to addictions, and generally speaking, just the forgiveness of sin. People all around us need to be freed from this captivity to sin. Presently, I'm serving uh, at a little church called Mountain View Sunnyside in the Sunnyside neighborhood. 
satellite campus of Mountain View, and it's a challenging area. We've been able to make some really good connections with local families there. I think of a family, uh, a mother and five, her five kids, they started coming to church. Been really intentional developing a friendship with them, supporting them, trying to do the journey with them. And her husband's been out of the picture until recently, but a few weeks ago I got to pick him up from the rescue mission and give him a ride to church. And just to hear what God's doing in his life the last number of months in terms of being freed from the bondage of addiction and sin, it's just so exciting, it's so amazing, and it just makes you think, you know, how can these things happen apart from the power of God? This is what Jesus is in the business of. He's in the business of releasing the captives. This man is about to reconnect with his family, his five kids. He's got a second chance to make an impact, to live for Jesus, and I'm excited to see him do that. He's been freed from the captivity of sin. Let's continue on in verse 18. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see. That the blind will see. Now we know this literally happened a number of times. Think about blind Bartimaeus. But we also know that Jesus wants to open our eyes to the truth of the salvation that he offers. Now as Christians, we proclaim the truth of Jesus opening the eyes of those in need of salvation. Now when we do this, relational give and take is needed. And what I mean by that is that every situation is a little bit different. Think about Jesus. In John chapter 3, he's engaging Nicodemus. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well. These are different situations. In one, he's talking about being born again. and the other, he's talking about thirst for living water. They're in different stages in their life. One is a respected teacher. One is a Samaritan woman. Jesus wants to bring situations and people into your life from all walks. And he wants you to do the same thing. He wants you to proclaim his truth. And it's not us that open their eyes. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no pressure on us to twist people around, to to get them... We just point them to Jesus, and we love them, and we tell them the truth. It's an amazing thing. I've got, a, I've got a, a neighbor that I talk to from time to time. He's a staunch atheist, and he's super smart. I mean, this guy reads books like no tomorrow, and he's into kind of this whole this new atheism kind of crowd of these younger atheist writers. And to him, it just all makes sense. He grew up in the nominal... Catholic Church, had some bad experiences, walked away from his faith, and he's just captured by the reasoning and the philosophy of these new atheist authors. Now, he loves to talk with me. He knows I'm a Christian. Uh, Funny thing is, you know, he'll suggest a book to me. I'll suggest a book to him. That's kind of what we do. We kind of go back and forth with books because I know he likes to read, so it works. And uh, recently he was saying, you know, it's funny I'm a firm atheist, but ever since I decided to become an atheist, I keep running into evangelical Christians. And uh, he said, like, God's given me all these friends, and now you're my neighbor. And he's like, it's like God's trying to send me a message or something. And I thought, I thought you didn't believe in God. And he's like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm just kind of joking. So he, uh, you know, God's working on him. He told me the other day, he said, I'm done with God. And I'm thinking, yeah, but God's not done with you. God's not done with you. So there's relational give and take. We get to know what makes people tick. We meet them on their level with the truth of Jesus. As you know, tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Pretty special day in in the history of our nation. Curious, anybody seen the movie Selma? 
few of you. I, rec- I recommend it. I, I saw it last week. It's a pretty powerful movie um, based on the 1965 Selma to Montgomery voting rights marches led by Martin Luther King Jr. So as you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was the main spokesperson for nonviolent activism in the civil rights movement, which successfully protested racial discrimination in federal and state law. Martin Luther King Jr. was such an inspiring individual and although we know he had, he had many flaws, like us, he wasn't perfect, he had flaws, but I believe he was also a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. I've got an interesting quote for you. It should come up on the screen here in a moment by Martin Luther King Jr. It says this, The day we see the truth and cease to speak is the day that we begin to die. It's the day that we begin to die. Now, Martin Luther King said that in the context of seeing the truth of the injustice in terms of racial discrimination. But I believe he believed this as well with respect to the truth truth that had captured his heart in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's the same for us. As Christians, we can't see the truth, we can't know the truth and cease to speak, to cease to have our lives speak of this truth, of our words speak of this truth. It's profound truth. It's true. Let's continue on in verse 19. And and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor has come. As Christians, we want to proclaim the freedom and favor available in Christ. That's point D. We proclaim the freedom and favor available in Christ. Now, this is an allusion to, to the concept of jubilee in the Old Testament. You can read all about it in Leviticus 25. It's fascinating. I encourage you to do that later this week. Now, the Jubilee was a fantastic provision in the law where every 50 years, symbolic of God's own saving acts, fields were left uncultivated, people returned to their own homes and their former land. If you sold land to somebody, then you would, you would go back to that land. Slaves were set free and debts were canceled and forgiven. Debts were canceled and forgiven. Jesus is, Jesus is saying, Today is the day of this kind of favor. I want to cancel the debt of your sin. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to accomplish that. Now, just think in your own life. Can you imagine if a massive debt of some sort was just forgiven? Think about it this way. What if you were a student? You're about to go to college. You're going to go to a private college in Hawaii. Okay? You're going to private college in Hawaii. You've taken Dave Ramsey's course. You're a master budgeter. It's all worked out. You get to Hawaii. The only problem is every year the tuition keeps going up. You keep doing things that you didn't plan on doing that cost a little bit of money. Uh, your, your budget just gets kind of blown out of whack. It's not working. Then you decided to do a semester abroad. You're already in Hawaii, and you still want to do a semester abroad, so you go to Spain or something. Long story short, you end up with a, a, a student loan the size of a modest home mortgage. Okay? Can you imagine if you go to make that first payment to Sally May or to the bank or whoever has that loan, and they say, your debt has been canceled. It's been forgiven. It's gone. I mean, can you imagine the amount of relief that you would feel? Think about it this way. What if a loved one was, had fallen ill, you didn't have health insurance, and you racked up tens of thousands of dollars in medical bills? You know, that's realistic, a couple of years ago, I was playing softball on your, you have, guys have beautiful softball fields here. I was playing slow pitch a couple of years ago here, 
And I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Can you believe that? I wish I had a cool story like I was dunking over somebody in basketball. I was playing slow pitch. I ruptured my Achilles. Um, thankfully, I had health insurance, but I saw the statement of charges for my surgery to repair my Achilles. It was $46,000. I had insurance. It was $46,000. I didn't pay that. So can you imagine if you had this huge medical debt and a, and, a, and a generous follower of Jesus came alongside and said, look, I'm going to give you a no-interest loan. I'm going to pay this off for you. And then you pay me payments. And you go to make this, this man or woman payments in the end, and he or she says, you know what? God's blessed me. I want to bless you. The debt's canceled. I'm just flat out canceled. I'm paying this. This is a picture of what Jesus, the kind of favor that Jesus brings into our life when we place our faith in him. He wants to cancel the debt of our sin. He went to the cross. He paid for sin, past, present, and future. Jesus wants to wipe out our sins. And see, when Jesus is proclaiming this favor, he's talking about preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what he was sent for. This is his purpose. Salvation is now offered to all freely. Now, in verse 18 and 19, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he does something really interesting here. He omits the last part from Isaiah, which says, and the day of God's anger against their enemies. So Jesus omits that when he's quoting Isaiah. And instead, Jesus simply ends with, the time of the Lord's favor has come. Isn't that interesting? The time of the Lord's favor has come. See, Jesus is emphasizing the favor inherent in his first coming. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to saving knowledge and relationship with him. What an incredible opportunity for us to be in this time of favor, to share this good news. In closing, I'd like to say this. Jesus' mission is the church's mission. Jesus' mission is the church's mission. Verse 20 and 21. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Other translations say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See, Jesus is saying, this is what I'm here to do. This is my message. This is my mission. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is Jesus' message. What is our message? What is my message? What is your message? Today is still the time of the Lord's favor. Still the time of the Lord's favor. Think about the Great Commission. Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. We've been invited into this. This is our mission. We've been invited. Jesus is with us. I'd like to go ahead and invite Josh to come up. In a minute, we'll have a, a closing song together. I want to leave you with a couple challenges this morning. First, are you and I taking this mission seriously? Think about your life. Think about what you say and what you do. What is, what is your message? What message are you communicating? We're the body of Christ. We're an extension of Jesus. You know, maybe God is calling me, he's calling you to reorder your life around the mission 
and message of Jesus Christ as reflected in Luke 4. I invite you to bring this to God in prayer this week. Read Luke 4. Read about the Jubilee in Leviticus 25. Think about how your life matches up with God's mission. Secondly, think about making a decision today to engage someone relationally with the truth of Jesus Christ. It's easy to stand up here and and say some truths or go somewhere and speak some truths. It's a little more difficult sometimes to do that in a relational way where you're engaging people where they're at on an ongoing basis. Think about who has God placed in your path, in your context. Look around what God's doing at your job, at school, in your home, in your neighborhood, your church family. What is God already doing? Who is there? And how can you further bring the good news to those people and do it in community with them? And finally, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? This does sound like good news. I feel the burden in my life of trying to do things on my own, my way. I would like to place my faith in Christ this morning. Maybe that's you. In a moment, you'll have an opportunity to do that. See, our message is this. The time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor has come. Would you please bow with me in prayer? Father, we give you praise this morning. Thank you for your word that's powerful and active and true in our lives. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells us, that gives us the power to walk in your ways. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth, for setting aside your divine rights and privileges and going to the cross to take on all of our sin, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a new beginning as we place our faith in you. And God, we pray this morning that you would allow us to align our our lives with your mission, God. Speak to us by your spirit, God, that we can turn from our ways and turn to you and align ourselves with your mission in this world. And now with heads heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you, you sense that God is calling you into a relationship with him, you've never made a personal decision to know Jesus personally as your Savior, as your Lord, as your friend, if you'd like to trade your sins for forgiveness, your, your stress and burdens for peace and joy from Jesus, if you'd like to place your faith in Jesus, just invite you to do something kind of bold and just look at me and raise your hand briefly. Pastor Brian or someone else from the prayer team would love, would love to pray with you. For the rest of us, let's make a decision today to align our lives with Jesus' mission. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We love you. We're excited about being the church. Thank you that we still live in the day of favor today, that we have good news to offer. Jesus, empower us by your spirit to carry forth this mission wherever you've placed us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.